Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hello, leaders. Today, I want to talk to you about a blog post that was published in 2014 in School Leadership 2.0 after a ridiculous interview experience I had. It's been a little over two years and I still remember how angry I was when I left. And in hindsight, I'm so grateful for that because it was one of the experiences that ignited my journey to create something of greater significance. I've decided to feature it here because I'm noticing that not a lot has changed in the interview process and perhaps this can help us move in a different direction. If you're someone who's looking to get a position in educational leadership, chances are that you'll relate to this. So please know that you aren't alone. If you're someone who is interviewing others and have forgotten what it felt like to be on the other side, perhaps this will remind you about how those applicants feel as they review their life's journey with you. The title of this post came to me after a conversation I had with one of my mentors as I was processing my thoughts and feelings with him on my way home after the interview. I wrote this the same day and as I contemplated posting it, I realized that I was taking a risk because the platform I chose to publish this on was full of ed leaders who most likely interview others for admin positions. I certainly didn't want to be on anybody's list. You know that list I'm talking about. But I also reasoned that if someone were to put me on their list because of my post, then that would most likely not be a good fit for me. So here it is with a few tweaks. Is this an interview for an educational leadership position or a parole hearing? Published July 5th, 2014. I'm compelled to write this as someone who continuously practices self-reflection and has a severe case of ATL and ATC. ATL being addicted to learning and ATC addicted to creating. Now I know some of you out there know exactly what I'm talking about. I've interviewed some of you. I'm re-entering the public school education realm after a long stint in early intervention and certainly am excited about my new journey. I also practice transparency, self-expression, and authenticity, and would love feedback on this experience. I've been out of the school system for over 14 years because I founded and operated an early intervention agency, which I was forced to close because of significant shifts in state policies and billing protocols. Prior to this, I taught in New York City public schools for 11 years, and most of my experience has been in elementary education and early childhood education, although I have taught middle school and high school students. My original choice to work with early childhood stems from the fact that the clients are so darn cute, 
And because there is strong research indicating that if we intervene early, these children have a more positive long-term outcome. I wanted to be a part of something powerful in education. During the time that I ran my agency, I taught undergraduate and graduate level courses in special education and supervised student teachers in a local university for over 11 years. I also earned a certificate of advanced studies in educational leadership. So when I closed my agency, I was ready to transition and begin a new chapter in my life as an educational leader. Recognizing the responsibilities that come with a position like this, I chose extraordinary mentors and coaches to guide, support, and help me maintain growth as a leader in the educational environment. I was recently called to interview for the position of chairperson of special education in a high school in a school district on Long Island. Even though I recognized that most of my experience was in elementary education, I reasoned that those who perused my resume thought that my experience was solid enough to warrant an interview. I was thrilled to have the opportunity to meet some of the leaders and thinkers of this school district. In preparation, I sifted through their website to gain answers to some anticipated questions. As an employer, I've been on the other end of this exchange many times and have successfully employed and contracted with extraordinary professionals. On the day of the interview, I was escorted by one of the administrators to the interview room. Prior to entering, she stopped, looked at me, and gave me specific directions on how to proceed after I entered. Although she occurred to me as a compassionate woman who did her best to prepare me for what was ahead, I couldn't help but feel that I was in for something unsafe. Her final words before I entered were, don't be nervous. Really? Now I'm suspicious and nervous. Upon entering the large room, I was escorted to a big red chair. It felt big to me at the time since I began to feel smaller by the second. When I sat and looked across the room opposite a chasm of two tables, I saw the silhouettes of five individuals who I knew very little about since I wasn't privy to who would be in attendance despite my having asked. I did surmise that the principal and the administrator in charge of HR would be there so I did some digging on them prior and was excited to meet them. I quickly introduced myself and stated the reason for my presence, as was the newly learned protocol. And then they methodically began to introduce themselves and their titles from left to right. They didn't skip a beat and were chiming in one after the other. All but two were smiling. I was smiling the whole time, partly because then I was able to squint and get a glimpse of their faces. You see, they all sat in front of huge windows, and they were actually huge, with the full throttle of daylight behind them. By this time, it felt like a power play. I've had my experiences with them, but not like this, not in education. The barrage of questions began from left to right. They were pre-scripted with no continuity or connection to each other. Although I found some questions to be good, there were no follow-up questions to my responses, so a flow in conversation was never attained. Also, it occurred to me 
as an exercise in capturing evidence about how I don't fit the job. I don't remember one positive thing about this experience. In fact, I quickly knew that I would not want to work there despite the decent compensation expected. Now, as educators, we know that intimidation, deliberate or not, causes stress hormones to be released, which interferes with cognitive functioning. Needless to say, I felt as if I choked and blew the interview. No excuses. I take full responsibility for my part in this and have grown wiser since. But I can't help but wonder, was this a tactic to see how I operated under pressure? This was an epic fail. Was this an exercise in power? Is this how typical leadership in education operates? Are educational leaders exemplifying what we expect of our educators? Is there a royal court protocol I missed learning about in my ed leadership courses? Was I just naive and out of high stakes interview practice? Truth is, I get that I was likely not the best candidate for this job. But why call me in for an interview if my lack of experience in high school was evident on my resume? Is it necessary to set individuals up to feel inadequate and insignificant too? Why continuously ask questions that only showcase lack of experience in a particular setting? I've never been part of a parole hearing, but this experience felt as if I had to defend my very existence. What I imagine parolees must feel like. It's been several years since I wrote this and I've had my share of interviews, and except for a few, most have been similar. Unfortunately, the feedback that I received for this blog post reflects that this type of interview is more common than not. I'm perplexed that we do this to our potential leaders and think that there isn't a parallel connection to how they will treat the teachers and how it will ultimately affect the students. After making some choices and working in organizations that showcased a dire need for us to master leadership, I decided to step back and do my part to take responsibility as a leader, which led me here. To master leadership, one of the most powerful things a leader can do is to value the lives, the journey, the needs of those around them. To value the lives, journey, and needs of our children is a clear expectation that we have of our staff and administrators. So why this duplicity? I believe that most leaders are well-meaning and want to do great things. I mean, most of us don't go into leadership thinking or believing, oh, I want to suck as a leader one day. Often it occurs gradually like that analogy of the frog in the pot of water that slowly heats up? It happens when we neglect to do what it takes to learn to lead ourselves well. This is especially important in the field of education since we educate the world. I'm sure that the majority of those listening get the importance of this. However, if you really want to know your effectiveness as a leader, Perhaps you should ask those around you if they feel valued in your organization. Then listen carefully. You may learn a thing or two. 
In January, I'm facilitating a mastermind group based on the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by Dr. John Maxwell. This is a seven-week in-depth study that will afford you the opportunity to join forces and mastermind with a unique group of like-minded individuals who are focused on taking results in every area of their lives to a new level. Having the support and ideas from other focused and driven people allows us to see things differently and to get a new perspective on goals and action plans in our leadership. What a way to start 2017. Together, we will learn how to effectively raise our leadership lid by understanding and implementing the principles of the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. The only cost to you will be the purchase of the book and your time commitment. There's only room for 12, so make sure to register at masterleadership.org. Until next time, bye.